Are you ready to begin your journey out of the realm of just theories and into a world of excitement and experience that only comes with braving the unknown? Join us as we speak to entrepreneurs who have faced the challenges of successfully creating businesses at home as well as abroad. Whether it's arts, services, or tech, from Shanghai to Tokyo, Bangkok to Mumbai, we'll help you find your inspiration and turn it into action. Get ready for Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now welcome your host, Neville J. McKenzie. Today's conversation is with Jerome van Overbeek, who spent over 20 years working in manufacturing in Europe and Asia. He then decided he wanted to change track and switch to making a social impact. The mission he chose was to bring clean water to Southeast Asia, specifically Bali in Indonesia. Now, due to natural disasters in the area, he finds that as a social entrepreneur, the need for his product has increased drastically, along with an expansion of volumes and the area where his product is needed. So this is more, this is a, a problem which is like three, four times that magnitude of the Bali issue, uh, because there's about half a million people, close to half a million, who have no roof right now, and that's for, that will last for a while, they're reconstructing now. Being an entrepreneur in normal times is difficult enough, but in an environment where nature is unforgiving, the stresses are greater. Try to get more sleep. You're trying to uh, yeah, get as fit as you can uh, in the conditions. Um, just give you an example. Because of the Lombok thing uh, happened, sorry, the earthquake, uh, I scaled my business 30 times in the, matter of, in, in the, sorry, in the period of two weeks. In this conversation, we get a brief insight into the world of the social entrepreneur at the sharp edge where nature is unforgiving. So now, without further delay, let's begin. Hi, I'm Neville J. McKenzie, and I'm with Jerome Van Overbeek. Can you introduce yourself? Uh, yes, um, so I'm uh, originally I'm from Holland, grew up in Europe, and uh, been now living in Bali. I'm a social entrepreneur, basically. I've been uh, living here about five years, and I'm uh, supplying uh, water filters, so improving access to clean water uh, in uh, remote communities in the villages of Indonesia. So have you always been a social entrepreneur? No, that's uh, something I started about five years ago in 2013. Uh, I've had I've about 20 years of, let's say, corporate background experience. Uh, in business-to-business uh, -business activities, like uh, in ingredients for paints, for um, food, for uh, pharma, and basically selling uh, these products B2B uh, in international development roles, and then general management, and then became my last role, I was a vice president for uh, Europe, Middle East, and Africa for a company making yeast for bread. Uh, and uh, I was uh, running a business of about $300 million and uh, overseeing about 1,000 people. So why did you decide to change? Um, just like, you know, I was like a mid-career and I was thinking, yeah, maybe I should do something a bit more useful. I was having a successful career, let's say, especially at my age. I was at that time below 40. Uh, and I thought, like, you know, I don't want to do that another 20 years, maybe because I was traveling a lot. I had a, let's say, a good job. But I mean, I was uh, checking what's the sense of this, you know. So um, and I basically decided to look at alternatives and do something more useful. And how could I put my skills 
uh, at more at service, let's say. And uh, I also wanted to to start my own business, so that's the reason why I I decided to to do that. And at that time, I was based in Europe, and I was also missing Asia, where I had lived for about eight nine years before. And I said maybe I'd like to go back there and, and check possibilities and explore opportunities there. What was your first venture as a social entrepreneur? Uh, so basically, I, um, I I have like I created uh, let's say um, two companies, like two startups, kind of at the same time in 2013 when I was uh, brainstorming about what would be my next move. And uh, <clears throat> one is a more tech company, which is uh, based uh, actually in uh, in Manila, and it's uh, it's an app. It's uh, let's say a peer-to-peer platform. Uh, for a lending microfinance, it's also a social enterprise. Uh, basically, um, it's a platform where people can, uh, entrepreneurs can, uh, people who have not access to the normal banking system uh, can uh, rent, uh, borrow money, sorry, at a, at a lower rate. That's one of the things I've started with uh, some partners in Singapore. And then I was, I've also started this water filter uh, venture. Uh, I was just like thinking, okay, what are the issues in the world? And I, I thought water was a big issue. And uh, then I started this company called Social Impact. And after having found the product and the technology, and the technology being made here in Indonesia, I decided to move to, to Indonesia end of 2013. What's making the transition from the corporate world to the social impact world? Was that a difficult transition or was it fairly s- straightforward? Um, no, it's not. It's not that easy. Um, in, in in the sense that um, uh, you know, when you work twenty years, you get a salary every month, and suddenly you up, you stop, and oh, there's no salary coming. What I'm going to do? Um, there's two things. There's this thing, this bit of this, you know, this financial security. Even if it's not, I mean, it's not a real thing. It has some savings for sure. Um, but it was more about okay, uh, let's say a bit the uncertainty, and also. Are you choosing the right thing? You know, so um, I, I found quite quickly what I wanted to do in the water sector because I read some horrible statistics about kids still dying from waterborne diseases, and I know there are some technologies we need just to promote them there. So that was a bit the, the uncertainty, but I, I was—it's not easy, easy. But I mean, you know, you just go and you go along and and you you just do it, you know. So, so why did you choose Indonesia? Uh, that's mainly because um, I found a product here that I wanted to work with, and I, I was like a, a conscious for a decision. I when I decided to move here, so I screened a few products in Asia and different countries, in two, three countries, met the owners of these companies who had these technologies, and then I wanted to distribute them. I made an agreement with them, and I said, okay, I thought that product that I, I saw here in Indonesia was the best one. It's a because it's cheap and uh, that's what I wanted, that people can afford it, people who don't earn a lot of money. And, and also uh, it's very um, eff- effective uh, in terms of, uh, water, let's say, water safety, where you can drink. It's very safe to drink from, uh, from the filter. So that's why I moved here, the product being made here. Yeah. And you've been doing a lot of traveling recently. What's the reason behind that? Yeah. You want me to talk about it? Yeah. Sure. So yeah, in um, like uh, just um, mid of September, I went to Edinburgh to attend the Social Enterprise uh, World Forum. It was uh, 
in uh, in Scotland, in Edinburgh, and um, it's about 1,500 delegates. 70% of them were like me, social entrepreneurs. So the it was a like basically a lot of plenary sessions, uh, um, some uh, breakout sessions on different topics in our area in the social enterprise, uh, let's say, um, uh, arena. And uh, what I, I mean, it was very, very interesting, a lot of good connections, a bit overwhelming also in a sense, so many people there. So we had to make the most of the three days. Uh, but basically what I took out of it is like, I'm very happy as an entrepreneur to see that so many good actions in the world because you know, the, 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 the business of doing good is really an increasing trend and it's a good thing. Uh, for sure, it's not very mainstream yet, but a lot of also corporates uh, are, are trying to are getting into the field, especially in, in purchasing from social enterprises. A huge procurement sector is starting on this, uh, on procuring from social enterprises. Social enterprises also procuring from other social enterprises, trying to get that ecosystem uh, running. And there were people from the whole world, yeah, because it was a world forum. So, uh, like a lot of people from the US, from Canada, from Australia, New Zealand, Africa, uh, Europe, and uh, Scotland as a country, uh, I mean, as a country, as a, as, a, as a part of the UK, is really, really at the forefront of this, and they have a real 20-year 20 20 plan and strategy on this. Uh, there is a lot on getting people included in the workforce, people who are generally excluded, like more marginalized people or people who are coming, uh, let's say, who, who are, uh, who were um, or either disabled or coming from, uh, have been in prison and things like that. And they are really pushing these people to get back to the, uh, to the workforce. And it's working quite well. There's a lot of uh, good things happening. So it was, very refreshing to see all these people doing things. I felt like basically I, said I felt really less lonely because you sometimes feel lonely as an entrepreneur. You do your thing. You are especially right now very much focused on some disasters with my, my product. Uh, but like it was so good to see that. So that was the, the main key takeaway. Sorry. Uh, to basically uh, like many people doing a lot of good things uh, all over the world. And um also, it will create some business opportunities Opportunities for sure. I mean, uh, I met a few people who are already in the water sector and we can collaborate. There's a lot of things to do. So I'm, I'm just following up that right now. And um, very, very, uh, let's say, uh, happy to have met all these people. And next year, I'm most probably going to attend. It's uh, going to be in, uh, in Africa and uh, in uh, Addis Abeba in Ethiopia. And uh, yes, uh, there's also for sure water is an important subject there. And uh, actually our companies, uh, I mean the suppliers, the water filter supplier I work with is also going to increase its uh, presence in Africa. So it's a perfect time in next year. We're going to do some things there and probably going to attend. The two disasters that have happened recently. Um, the first one was the volcano. Did that affect you? No, that was, yeah, that was last year actually. Yeah, uh, that was in Bali itself. You're correct. That's uh, I forgot about that one because we're really living in a in a region where all these things happen. Um, yeah, in Bali you have a volcano called Mount Agung, the biggest uh, mountain here. And last year, some people were displaced and um, had to leave their houses and were living also in camps. So my product was also used there. So 
I, I um, supply more than 1,200 units, and that was in uh, October, November, December, and a bit in January. Uh, so October, November, December 2017, and early 2018, and then people went back home. But there were no casualties. But now, and and at that time, about 150,000 people maximum had been displaced, which is quite an important number. But now, with the what happened in Lombok just uh, early August, there's been um, three very important earthquakes. Um, so this is more. This is a, a problem which is like three, four times that magnitude of the Bali issue, uh, because there's about half a million people, close to half a million, who have no roof right now, and that's for that will last for a while. They're reconstructing now, it's, but uh, it will take some time. So a lot of people are in the camps. So um, this is the the thing I've been the much let's say I've been very busy with over the last month month and a half and as I just said I also set up a like basically a branch and a comp and a storage there uh, in on Lombok Island and uh, actually I'm still going there this afternoon I'm and uh, checking what's going on in the camps my my staff and the, the rainy season is approaching and it actually has just started and our product is very useful so it's a bit because it stops uh, spreadable diseases or contagious diseases like cholera and things like that. So uh, it's a bit of a race against time to put as many filters there as possible. So we get money in donations. I do them at cost and then we put them or the people who buy them, put them in the camps and train the people on how to use them. So that's the, the, long, the, the, the main issue I've been working on recently. But now, just like two days, uh, sorry, three days ago, a terrible tsunami struck another island of Indonesia, which is a bit further away from here, from Bali, which is in Sulawesi, in central Sulawesi. But and that's we are just exploring all the options this morning, what we can do. But it's a bit more logistically complicated to bring things there. So uh, that's very recent. Uh, just just happened. You mentioned that you you supply your filters at cost. Um, how do you work out the costs? Because if you have um, a disaster in an area, um, does it affect how you get the product there and to get them there at the cost and working out the cost? Yeah. So, so yeah, when I said that, it's just, that's not, okay. So, so my normal business model, I mean, I'm a for-profit company. I'm a social enterprise. I'm not an NGO. Uh, but uh, basically, I'm a, I'm a, what a social enterprise is, is basically a, a company who, who like a, who, whose product or service is tackling an environmental or, or social problem. So um, for me, it's access to clean water, and that's the water filter I supply. Uh, but like in these cases uh, of disasters, I'm I'm trying just to cover my costs. I'm a bit, let's say, I'm below my normal commercial price when I sell to people here on the island or in shops. Uh, I have a margin. I'm just reducing that very substantially because. It's just a, a thing that I, I don't want to basically um, kind of make money on a disaster. So that's my personal decision. But yes, I basically then cover the, the cost of purchase of the filter and of basically bringing it to the place, the transportation cost. Yeah. And then we give it at that price and, and people, we get donations in for, for that. So where did the donations come from? So in, 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 in this case, like for Lombok, it's mainly, and it was also the case for, for the volcano last year, it's mainly private people, uh, organizations, uh, or friends. It, it's, it's actually mainly uh, just uh, also, uh, you know, crowdfunding pages, people set up crowdfunding pages. 
uh, and they get the money. So here, uh, in the case of Lombok, I've had quite a, a big connection of Dutch people, like uh, who have been kn- knowing they know the product for quite a while. They like it, and they have been crowdfunding in the Netherlands, been quite successful. So uh, raised about yeah fifteen twenty thousand euros just for for our product. So that's an example. But then there's also a lot of local people here in, in when I say local people living in Bali, which is uh, and also in Lombok, which are donating for their friends, uh, families who are in in the camps. You've been how long have you been selling the filters again? About four and a half years yeah so the first couple of years um before there were any disasters what would have been a typical day for you so yeah let's say the first two years i will take that period because i was doing kind of what we call a proof of concept i wanted to make sure that that product can be accepted and used and also paid for by people in uh, remote areas so I've been touring the east of Bali, which is one of the poorest areas of Bali. It's called Karangasem uh, area uh, for about two years with a car and a local colleague. And I would pick him up every morning. He's from that area. And I would pick him up and we would go around schools. We would go to the head of the villages. We would go and meet the women of the villages who have meetings and introduce the product and sell it. So that's uh, basically what I was doing uh, a lot for the first two years. It's working quite well. Uh, it's not, uh, there's a lot of education around the product. People don't understand necessarily what it is, how it works. And then you need to convince them and also that they trust that they can drink from that filter that the water is safe. So this is <clears throat> the best way to do is basically to go for the influencers in these places, which are the head of the village the leaders or like the, the religious leader, in this case, Hindu leaders uh, in Bali. So that's the way, I, that's the approach I was taking. And also what I did is I basically also wanted to set up a network of resellers, which are mainly women. I've set up a network at that time, up to 30, 35 women who were reselling my product, meaning in the village and getting some, making a bit of money uh, out of that. So that's what, uh, that's where, what, what my, my days looked like at that time. And then I've also moved, expanded after that to the southern area of Bali. That means more the, the, where the people live, let's say the big towns, the cities, Denpasar, Ubud, uh, and different places there to also retail. So I started some retail in shops. My product is distributed in, in kind of 15, 20 shops now in Bali. And people can just buy them. So that's what I've been doing since the last three, four years. So with the disasters occurring, how does that affect you in terms of what you then have to do? Well, it's basically a a lot of logistics and also uh, resources trying to organize myself. I'm a a small company. I'm just basically by myself and have a few volunteers helping me for events or things like that. Now, in this case, I had to set up a whole team of four or five people so basically, uh, people here helping me in Bali for the orders in Bali for my normal business uh, that is still running. And then, uh, I, as I, I said, I set up a storage in Mataram in, in Lombok. Uh, and this is, I had to find volunteers or people wanted to, to, to open the storage and work for me and, and basically, uh, let's say, uh, operate the, the storage. So that was the, the main challenge. Uh, we did that very fast in about a week. We I set up the whole team, and actually it's working quite well. Um, now I'm going again to to meet them uh, in Lombok, 
but like just to, to check what's going on. Also going to the camps again, doing a bit of monitoring on our filters, how they're used. Uh, so that was the main, the, the main main challenge. And actually, it's interesting because I've set up systems like basically sheets uh, of yeah, yeah, who wants to who can who has paid for the filters, who can come and pick it up, uh, where the filters are going, like what's the the tracking of where they are, ask the people to to fill in some information on that. So that's the the, the key to the success uh, up to now is to have been able to build up the systems and then just running through them and, and using them. So you mentioned that you're a, a sort of a one-man company. Um, how does that affect you on a personal level in terms of your physical capabilities, your ability to just keep going? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean... You, you know, I mean, I guess like if you run a business, I mean, yes, for sure, it's staying a lot on your own life, on your time, and 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 things like that. So it, yeah, it's it, it, it's a choice, and especially in these times where things accelerate, uh, yeah, it's staying kind of, to be honest, staying kind of a, of a toll. But you you you, I mean, you you just try to get more sleep. You're trying to. Uh, yeah, get as fit as you can uh, in the conditions. Um, just give you an example. Because of the Lombok thing uh, happened, sorry, the earthquake, uh, I scaled my business 30 times in the matter of, in in the sorry in the period of two weeks. So that's just something incredible in terms of volumes. But I had to make sure we could get these volumes from the factory. We could ship them and do. So there's been two three weeks which were very very hard. But once we've I've passed that. It's now a bit easier, as I said, put in the systems, and then you can uh, manage uh, from there even remotely. So it, it it does take it does take on your let's say on your um, uh, on, on your let's say on your on your physical health and things like that. But I mean, I'm trying also to you know to to get some more sleep and also to uh, not to work too hard. <laughs> Uh, and, and also to, let's say, to, to, to keep the weekends and do stuff like, you know, for myself and also continuing uh, physical activities like running, uh, going out and dancing. I'm a dancer, so I, li I like to do this and so, yeah, things like that. So where, where do the filters come from or where, they man where are they manufactured? Oh, they're manufactured in, uh, in West Java, uh, in Bandung, which is a city about two hours east of Jakarta, the capital. So uh, that's where they're manufactured and that's where they come from. Um, and we, we get them over by land, uh, by truck, uh, either to Bali or to Lombok. And was it easy for them to increase production? Well, yeah, it, it, I mean... The, the the supplier uh, Nazava is uh, has some experience in these things. It's been a ten year old company, and they've been doing other disasters uh, internationally, like the uh, like the, um, the the typhoon in the Philippines. In, I think it was Yolanda in 2013, the Harbor typhoon, the earthquake in Nepal in 2015. So have kind of an experience on that, saying that they have to basically increase production in a short amount of time. So yes, it was uh, a bit of a challenge, but we also made some strategic decisions on the bottlenecks, let's say, that we were seeing to try to reduce this. And, and basically, uh, it worked quite well because, I mean, the, the, 
as I said, the impact, the the, uh, the demand, uh, the demand for the product source was just increasing incredibly in a matter of days, and we were able to uh, to respond to that. I have never had a customer who couldn't get it. Uh, it's been uh, sometimes very, uh, let's say, close to being a bit out of stock, but we've always managed to have enough products for the the people uh, who wanted to purchase them. So it's uh, we 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 did a few good decisions at the beginning when we saw this crisis looming because I saw the impact. I said like that's going to be thousands of filters. We need to uh, we need to make sure we're ready and can do that. So it was a discussion with the manufacturer: Can you do that? And how can we do so? He he was very supportive and uh, really, uh, let's say, support, I mean, supported me and uh, the, the issue in, in Lombok. So they are very, very, I'm very happy to work with them also. And do you get like local government or government support with your activities? Um, right now, uh, not really. Um, I mean, uh, the let's say that uh, as I said, most of the donations were private, and we were doing our our own things. Uh, the government has been helpful in putting infra infrastructures in, like you know, like uh, in the camps, putting water tanks because you still need water. If you don't have a water access or a pipe or something, sorry, access to water, you can't use the filter. You need water to put in the filter. So they've been uh, putting like uh, tanks in the camps and trying to get the, the access also um, uh, giving supplies for tents and other things. So they've been very helpful in this, uh, let's say, on on more other aspects. I mean, on, on the filters, we haven't done very much things together. Might be a possibility for solar winds. We, we don't know, maybe with the health department. We, we're just checking options. Uh, for Lomok, it hasn't been the case, but I mean, it's just, they've done, let's say, also a lot of things uh, uh, for, uh, for, for, the, for the people also. It's just that happened that my product wasn't in there. Let's say we, we didn't talk, basically. We were just doing, you know, we didn't think about it and we were just doing our own thing. Okay, so um, if there's anything else you'd like to mention... No, I want, I want to, to thank you for the opportunity uh, of talking. And um, yes, um, people can also uh, contact me by email if they're interested to, to learn more. Uh, my email is uh, contact at social-impact.com. And we'll be putting links into the show notes. So thank you very much, Jeron. Thank you. Thank you very much, Neville, for the opportunity. It was uh, great chatting to you. Yeah, we'll keep in touch. Keep in touch. Okay, thanks. See you. Bye-bye. This brings us to the end of this episode of Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now we need you to hit the subscribe button and head over to asiabizstories.com for more great information on how to take your inspiration and turn it into action. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you join us next time on Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action.